to the Retail Transformation Show with me, Oliver Banks. This is your weekly podcast, delivering you the insight, ideas, and inspiration to successfully change and transform in our ever-evolving world of retail. Enjoy listening. Hi there, welcome to the Retail Transformation Show. My name is Oliver Banks, I'm your host, and I am a retail transformation specialist. I'm a consultant and advisor, and I work with companies to help drive their retail transformation forward, tackling complex challenges, defining the ideal operating model, and building momentum to deliver that successful change. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This one is episode 225, number 225. And the show notes are going to be over at obandco.uk slash 225. One of the age old retail skills has been around defining the right range for your customers. At the end of the day, it sounds so obvious, but if you don't have the right products, why on earth are your customers going to come into your store, come to your website, make a purchase, and why are they ever going to come back, right? So it's absolutely a fundamental retail skill, but there's also a significant amount of art to finding that right range, ensuring that there is enough choice, but not too much choice, ensuring that there is enough differentiation between different types of products, but they're also aligned so they sit nicely within the proposition and their overall brand. And curation is a key skill and a key opportunity, I believe, for many retailers. So to help us dive in today, I'm delighted to welcome Lisa Amlani onto the show. With her 25 years of experience, she works with global retailers and brands and tech companies to help drive dramatic business growth. And she's worked with brands like Ralph Lauren, Club Monaco, Nike, Columbia and Walmart. Back in 2020, she founded the Retail Strategy Group. And in particular, I'll highlight out her monthly newsletter called The Merchant Life, where she shares valuable insights and helps retail leaders discover the best practices around curation, ranging and merchandising. She's a member on TalkDesk's Retail Industry Advisory Board and also on the board for WACRA, the Women of Colour Retail Alliance. She's a speaker and guest lecturer at business schools and appears regularly in all sorts of media from Forbes to Retail Wire to Chain Store Rage, Wall Street Journal, The New York Times and many others as well. And Lisa is also one of Rethink Retail's top retail influencers in the world, like myself. So it's a real honour to invite her on to the podcast today. I think you're going to really enjoy this conversation. The show notes are, like I say, over at obandco.uk slash 225, where you can sign up for the Retail Transformation Briefing, my email newsletter. And every single week, you get to keep your finger firmly on the changing world of retail with key headlines, highly curated insights, and thoughts and advice to inspire your successful retail transformation. Sign up for free obandco.uk slash 225. So without further ado, let's jump in to this amazing conversation. Hi 
I am delighted that Lisa Amlani is here with me on the show. Lisa, a very warm welcome. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. And I love that we're in the same time zone. Indeed we are. Indeed we are. So no super early mornings or super late nights or anything like that. But Lisa, we're, we're jumping into a conversation that I think is super critically important at the moment. It's one that I think many retailers need to face into, but perhaps many haven't quite realized it just yet. And that is all about range and inventory and which products you are stocking and which you are not. Let's start right at the top. What is a range and what makes a successful range? Yeah, well, I mean, let's start with, you know, why we're even talking about this. You know, I I spent a lot of time over 20 years in merchandising, assortment planning, product creation. So I've seen, you know, really great product assortments and I've seen not so great ones. We've also, like you mentioned, um, you know, seen in the news lately and, you know, seen what retailers have been talking about and brands have been reporting on, which is a lot of excess inventory. So talking about inventory management and the right assortment plan and how to develop the right range is critical today. Totally. So I love this conversation and, you know, thank you so much for for getting me on the show to talk about this. Um, One of the most important things I would say about a successful range and developing a great assortment is really about the balance between fashion and seasonless product with enough newness that will keep the customer coming back and selling through at full price. So at the highest margin that you're, you're planning for. And I think these are the things that are critical in planning a great assortment. That makes sense. That makes sense. And does it differ between different categories? Your, your focus is very much on fashion. Does it, does it differ between other, other retail categories? No, I, I would say that the fundamental, just the fundamentals around assortment planning is it can transcend channels, categories, and verticals. So whether you're looking luxury, whether you're looking at fashion, apparel, accessories, footwear, or even home and office products, the fundamentals are still the same. You need a good balance of fashion and trend to get your customers coming back to you and a seasonless product range to also keep your customers coming back to you, but that will continue to sell at full price despite the season. Yep, that makes sense. And and one of the elements that I think is probably exacerbating the, the, the challenge at the moment is the explosion of marketplace models, a sort of a dropship or something similar, whereby you can very quickly, very rapidly, and at no inventory cost, expand your range to millions of SKUs if you wanted, right? How do you think that affects the whole assortment question and challenge? Well, I think it it kind of throws it out the window a little bit. Because <laughs> <laughs> I would say, you know, the, the whole thoughtfulness of creating an assortment, um, curation around product assortment is is lost. And what that means from a consumer lens is that you're exhausting your customer as they're scrolling your endless aisle or your marketplace. And it becomes more of a transaction where customers are looking maybe for the best price, you know, think Amazon or Wayfair versus, you know, let's find the best product that's going to suit the needs that you're looking for. In addition to that, when you think about product curation, you're also thinking about in apparel or in accessories or footwear or even home, how you can have multiple products selling in the same transaction. So what you want to do is, you know, we call it outfitting. 
you want to be able to sell the bottoms, the tops, the accessories, the footwear all in one go because you want to keep that customer in your site, in your marketplace, in your store and buying everything they need from you versus going to your competitor who has maybe a more curated product assortment Mm. that is really speaking to the customer's needs. I love that you bring curation, the term into it. I think it's a term actually that's probably banded about quite a lot and not used very often, it feels like to me. Certainly as a shopper, it feels that way. How do you go about curating an assortment or range? Well, it's really about having the right balance across categories. So if we're thinking about apparel, you know, making sure that you're giving the customer everything they need, you know, as I mentioned earlier, so that you're almost like a one-stop shop. You also want to make sure that you're filling in the gaps with things like accessories or if it's handbags or if it's, you know, if you're in home decor, you know, what does the outfit of the room look like? So you're not just selling, you know, sofas and chairs, but you're also selling home decor and rugs and, you know, things that are going to really make the range interesting Mm. and delightful for the customer. I think that's something that, you know, can be easily lost as we go into stores today where you're looking at stockpiles of product that is not visually merchandised in a, an aesthetic and beautiful and delightful way, but it's really, it becomes a transaction. Mm. Not everybody wants to shop at Costco. Not everybody wants to shop at, you know, in the UK, Asda, for example, they want to shop at, you know, maybe they want to go into a department store and, and maybe it's a John Lewis and maybe they want to go in there and buy everything they need for, you know, their, their, I don't know, night out or mm. whatever the case is, or, you know, their day, you know, they're finally going back into the office. They, they want to find everything they need in one place. We want to make it convenient for people, but moving away from that transactional exercise of shopping where it becomes more of more of a social experiment in a way. Yep. We want to give the customer a great experience. That's going to keep the customer coming back into stores or keeping them shopping online across channel, really. I think it's possible to keep your customer engaged and it's reflective of the product assortment that you're putting in front of them. Yeah, that makes sense. And I, I like the, the, the concept of almost providing the full, shall we say, the vision or the dream for the for the customer yeah. so they can they can get the complete solution. How do you know you've done a good job on range or, or, or not equally? Well, I mean, the metrics are are very, very clear. If you sell through your product at full price at the highest gross margin that you've actually planned for, that's when you know that you have done a great job in planning your assortment, that you've leveraged consumer insights in giving the customer what they truly want, or that you've closed the feedback loop on product that didn't sell previously, let's say because of sizing or or fit, or even maybe where a print was placed. Mm. You've closed that feedback loop and you're coming back to the customer with product, showing them that you've actually heard and listened to them. And that is what, I guess, because they bring technology into the art and science of assortment planning will actually give you. Yeah, that's nice. Go and expand, expand on that, expand on the, the technology in this area. Yeah. I mean, you know, I talk about insights a lot and leveraging things like, um, you know, customer feedback or, you know, what you're getting from maybe a loyalty program or returns. I mean, there's, there's so many, there's so many ways that you can capture insights from the customer. Talking to them, of course, is the best way, but what we want to do, I know, (laughs) shocking, right? (laughs) 
as a merchant, I think I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a big advocate in walking the shop floor and, and getting involved in the customer purchase. Yeah. You know, talking to them is is a lost art, I almost think. Mm. But I would say it's all part of capturing insights and closing that feedback loop, as I mentioned. We want to make sure that we're always evolving and listening to our customers because we want them to come back. Mm. Customers are fickle. There's a lot more choice than there has ever been before. So we want to make sure as a brand or a retailer, if you're a multi-brand retailer, that you have a clear point of view and a brand message. You know, thinking about retailers and brands that don't do that very well, Bed Bath & Beyond is a great example where they kind of lost their point of view. And they did that as they were developing private label programs and increasing their merchandising strategy. So, you know, there's... I think that's where the art kind of disappeared and the science didn't help. Right. Things okay. like, you know, leveraging that data to help make better decisions across across product assortment. You know, that that's really critical these days because you mm. want to make sure that your customer keeps coming back. Yeah, absolutely. And there's obviously there's many, many different factors that, that play into that. But ultimately, if the customer knows they can't get what they want... <laughs> It doesn't really matter how great the operation is or the experience or whatever. You know, you don't want to waste your time on a on a failed shopping trip. You want to also make sure that while you're talking to your customer and asking them what they truly want to see from you, what is their reason for shopping with you? What is their reason for even spending their quality time and precious time with you? And that's where you can also gain a lot of insight into building that relationship with the customer trusting them just like they trust you uh at the end of the day i think you know we're we're in this um this very fickle economy and you know it's it's not as it's not as easy to to let go and spend money these days so you want to make sure that you're giving customers a reason to buy from you that makes that makes a lot of sense lisa let's take a slight pivot in the conversation here and think about i suppose one of the one of the big disruptions to the fashion and clothing market has been that of fast fashion over the past 15, 20 years. Most notably, two two companies, which I'm sure we'll, we'll mention. Explore, explore the timelines of product development and, and range selection. What have we seen change? Yeah. So I talk a lot about speed to market and accelerating the time to market from concept to the customer. And what that looks like today in with most brands, whether you're a multi-brand retailer or whether you're a design-led brand, it's at least 52 weeks. So a year, a year to go from design and concept to what the customer will see on the shop floor. That's way too long. <laughs> when you have these ultra-fast fashion players and even fast fashion players, in fact, they take about 30 days. So if they're able to react to trends in the market and customer shifts uh, in their buying behavior so quickly, other brands are being left behind and they're just too late. Mm. So what we need to do collectively in retail is get faster to market. If we can get faster to market by improving the ways that we're working to have more efficient processes around product creation and assortment planning, which involves leveraging things like technology, demand planning, predictive analytics, AI, and even digital product creation practices, we are going to get faster to market. 
as we simplify the way that we're working, and you're a you know digital transformation expert, we all want to simplify the way that we're working. Yep. We want to eliminate some of those redundant processes, the manual ways of working, so that we can get faster in the way that we are reacting to the consumer and what they're looking mm. for. And I suppose Zara kind of spearheaded the the idea of fast fashion, but fast fashion has got quite a lot of bad press recently, right? Particularly with the sustainability yeah. angle. Is fast fashion something we should be aiming for? Or is it something else within fast fashion that provides that bad press rather than the, should we say, the speed to market? I would say we can take elements from what fast fashion and ultra fast fashion players are doing today. And what they are doing is they are testing product with their customer, seeing what they like before they mass produce. They are leveraging things like insights. They are closing the feedback loop. They have a materials mindset. So if you walk into a Zara or any other fast fashion retailer and brand, what they're doing is their designers are designing into materials. So textiles, prints, etc. What we're seeing most brands and retailers doing today is that they are first designing, then they're going to find materials. So that takes a lot of time. So that's where we can learn from fast fashion and ultra fast fashion. Mm. The other thing we can learn from them is that it is possible to be fast. The challenge with being fast is that there is an abundance of overdevelopment. Mm. Overdevelopment from the sampling stage, so before we even get to market, and then of course after uh, you get to market, you're still developing. So there's there's too much product being developed. That's where the sustainability conversation really starts to happen with these fast fashion players is that they just produce too much. So I think that's where we can learn that you know let's get fast to market, leveraging data, closing customer feedback loops testing with the customer before mass producing product and just produce the product that the customer wants versus thousands and thousands of SKUs that could go to waste. And to your point earlier, right, in terms of thinking about percent of total stock sold at full price as a metric, you know, if you've overproduced, chances are you've either got a massive warehouse full of stock or you haven't done a good job at selling at full price, right? Yeah, exactly. And I think you hit the nail on the head there because when we think about what's happening with the state of inventory and excess inventory, the fact is brands and retailers today are not giving customers the product they truly want. And they're taking too long to get to market to react to what the customer wants when they want it. And that causes us to be over-assorted that's where we're overdeveloping, we're oversampling. And we need to kind of pull in the reins a little mm. bit, especially on designers, and learn from these mistakes. You know? So this is really interesting because no one wants to design or curate a range that doesn't sell, right? That's no one's intention. Exactly. But what are the common challenges that you find retailers and brands running into in terms of wh- where are the mistakes that they make? Why is this so difficult? Because the idea of getting customer insights, for example, is not, it's not breakthrough. I agree it doesn't happen enough. But what, what do you think that the key challenges are? What are the opportunities equally as well? 
I think the key, the key challenge really is around process. Mm. The way that we have been assorting product, creating product, and designing product is archaic. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, not, not to put it lightly yeah. or anything, but, you know, we're not leveraging the tools that we have. And what we know is in the last three years or two years, however, you know, if, if people think that we're still, you know, kind of working in pre-pandemic ways, we're just not leveraging technology that is available to us, whether it is from a digital product creation perspective and, you know, having real-time inventory data and transparency into the product journey. We're just not utilizing the tools that we have as brands and retailers. Mm. I would also say that it back to process innovation, getting to market in a certain amount of time. It's so important for us to to get close to the customer and get faster to market in a sense where we're creating product the customer wants. And the way we do that is is again, like you mentioned earlier too, is is that we have to leverage those insights and actually use them during the assortment planning and product creation process. So right now we may be capturing insights, but we're not leveraging them. And there's no formalized and standardized moments within that go-to-market or product creation Mm. calendar where those insights are actually being shared out. So what I've been seeing, and, you know, I've talked to a lot of market leaders and brands about this is that they have, you know, these great tools, they have all this data They have insights teams and centers of excellence for, you know, customer feedback. But all of those wonderful things are not coming back to the merchants, the planners, the product creators. So that feedback, those insights, that data, everything that they're learning is actually not being captured in the right moment in time to get smarter when we're creating product. So during the process, we're not seeing any of this happening. We've got this disjointed bit where we've got the data and we've got equally in the organization, a team that want the data, but for some reason, they're not able to get the insights or the insights aren't able to get to them at the right speed. So they can't use it essentially. Yeah, speed, absolutely. But also in a way that they can use them. Mm. So if we're not giving teams time and space to evaluate insights that are coming in or feedback that's coming in on product that is being created for the next season and for future seasons, then we're not able to close the feedback loop in time of product getting into market. Mm. And what I'm seeing is that when we look at the milestone calendar, which is your traditional product creation calendar, we have these key alignment moments that teams come together and they have share outs, they test and fit product. Those insights are not coming in at those times. Right. Okay. And thinking about the ultra fast fashion players, what is it they do about their process? Obviously, drawing on some of those points you've just made, you know, how do they use things like experimentation and, and other, other sort of, I guess, process innovations compared to a legacy brand or retailer? The beautiful thing, and I would say this is what you know, the rest of the retail world needs to learn from these ultra fast fashion players is that they leverage technology like no other. 
And they really utilize the data, insights, collaboration with customers, influencers, all of those things. And they bring them in-house within those 30 days and take action with with those uh, with the data with the insights and you know with what the customer is telling them and because they are testing product i mean Shein is very well known to test the product small batch then mass produce with zara they're they use a materials mindset and i think that really saves them a lot Mm. of time because they are their designers are designing into materials into textiles that's already been through an innovation process, yep. you know, they're, they're, they have, you know, great fabrics, textiles that, you know, a lot of brands, it's taking them a year or, or longer to develop. And then t- building into the design process is the product creation process. So actually designing and developing the product that is taking a lot more time than what a fast fashion retailer mm. will take. You know, they, they have a lot of, they have, of course, they have a lot of factories, you know, as many of the other brands do, but they're using technology like real time decision making, transparency and visibility into the product journey. They are leveraging things like digital product creation, which I am not seeing enough of in, I guess, let's call it the mainstream retail yep. world. Yep. That makes sense. I think it's it's fascinating, isn't it, this this whole topic. One of the other things we touched on it really quite early on was the impact of a range or an assortment on stockholding or inventory. How do you best get a, a happy place between you've got enough stock for the customer to preserve availability, but you're not killing the business on stockholding or excess stock as well, right? What's, how, how do you find that balance, particularly if you've got lots of seasons? <laughs> Well, we have heard a lot of talk on stock, stock holding and pulling back on orders and leaving them at factory or in the warehouse. That's not new. This has been happening for decades. So the fact is that we're still buying too much. We're still over-assorting. Brands are still over-developing. And what they need to do is really just tighten up how much they are putting out into the world in the first place. And the way you do that is to implement things like inventory management tools, predictive analytics, to truly understand and identify what is the right amount of inventory? What is the right number of SKUs? If the brand has a clear point of view and a clear message of who they want to be and who their customer is and what their customer wants to see from them, identifying that merchandising sweet spot where they are not over skewed is the holy yeah. grail. <laughs> because what we do know is that more supply does not equal more demand. And I think, I hope that brands and retailers have learned this, especially coming out of holiday, because we know there were a lot of there were a lot of calls that I was on with market leaders and you know, a lot of even in the mm. media. Uh, we've state we've heard them state that excess inventory is a big challenge yep. right now, and you know one of the resolutions for that, sadly, and I don't agree with it, is okay. Let's restructure. Let's right size our teams so that we could 
save that money and put that OPEX and CAPEX into our inventory. Mm. So what that does is it, it drives more open to buy so that you can keep buying. So we're still buying the same number of SKUs. We're still assorting the same amount of product. So there's no lessons here, you know? And I think the challenge with that is we're not innovating the process. If we're not innovating the process, if we're not leveraging the right technology, the right skill sets mm -hmm. to identify what that merchandising sweet spot is, what that, what the number of SKUs should look like and what the category mix should look like, then we're always going to have an inventory management issue. Yep, that makes sense. Despite whatever is going on in the market with regard to inflation or you know any any other sort of circumstance, if you if you've got that wrong, right? <laughs> it's uh, exactly somewhat stuffed, even in a, even in a completely static market, which of course we we never find. Exactly, and I think you know the the one thing that I just love to keep talking about is really incorporating and using insights from the customer from the market to truly understand what your customer wants and trust the technology. I think that is one of the biggest problems I've seen and I keep hearing about is that, okay, you know what, there's manual intervention <laughs> across, you know, when we're planning either number of SKUs or how deep to go into a category, there's a lot of manual intervention going on. So we know that trusting the tech is a big problem. If we don't trust the tech, we're never going to know if the tech works. We know it works, right? Because <laughs> we've, seen, we've seen it work. We've seen it work. And we've seen it work with some of the best brands yeah. in the world. But the fact is, if, if, we're not, if retailers are not trusting the tech, they are never going to make better decisions around product assortment planning or product creation. There we go. And that is that's a really key takeaway, right? In terms of, you know, there's so much going on here, but without the tech, without all of the data enablement, really you can't you can't revolutionize and transform, you know, your product operations, right? You know, you cannot get to those fundamentally different ways of working that we see some of these fast fashion and ultra fast fashion retailers and brands using. We still have the challenge around, you know, amount sold at full price to, to your one of your very first points. But I think that's a really key takeaway, Lisa. Thank you so much. How can people find out more about you and what you're up to? Yeah, well, they can definitely follow me across social, LinkedIn, Twitter, if that still could exist <laughs> later, I don't know. <laughs> but definitely you can find me um, on LinkedIn, on my website, which is retailstrategygroup.com. And I would encourage your audience to subscribe to the newsletter, which is called The Merchant Life. And we, you know, we really give a lot of insights and how to's in that newsletter because we, we want brands and retailers to succeed. Perfect. That's great. And it's a nice, easy read. So, so do sign up. We will put all of the links again on the show notes page for you to go and check out. So, Lisa, thank you so much for joining me here on the Retail Transformation Show. It's been great talking to you. Thanks for having me. A great conversation there with Lisa Amlani. I do hope you enjoyed it. You can find out more about Lisa at obandco.uk slash 225. And I'll also include the link so you can sign up 
for her Merchant Life newsletter that comes out every single month. Now, I always love to give you a few additional episodes to help explore the rich archives of the Retail Transformation Show. And today, I've got three suggestions for you. Now, customers have been a key theme, of course, when it comes to this topic. So I'm going to suggest, firstly, that you check out episode 171 with Howard Tierski. And we were talking about how to let avatars guide your transformation. And I believe that same process that Howard describes can be super useful when you're thinking about ranging and curation too. Also, check out episode 205, Listening to Your Customers to Transform CX. And that's a great conversation with Brian Dennis from True Rating. And then finally, going on a slightly different angle here, in episode 181, it was a solo show with just me and I was talking about six new business models driven by sustainability. And as you explore those different six, ranging and curation and product innovation are really key skills to ensure that you are set up for success. So do go and check out those three episodes. I'll put all of them on the show notes at obandco.uk slash 225. Thank you so much for tuning in today. And if you've enjoyed the episode, then do hit subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. And if you've already done that, why not leave a review or share some thoughts on social media? I'd love to hear your feedback about the show. Thank you once again for tuning in and I'll look forward to joining you on another episode very, very soon. Bye then.